It's the TV Soup Podcast. Tonight we're covering Daredevil on Netflix. Ep- season 1, episodes 3 and 4 on the Drink 5 Network. Can we rename this podcast temporarily to Who's Beating Up Matt Murdock This Week? You got it, no problem. Because <laughs> I think that may be an apt description. Uh, in honor of Matt Murdock, we're drinking, ironically, the Lagunitas Daytime IPA, a fractional, oh, sorry, it's a daytime ale, a fractional IPA. Dry hopped ale, um, only 4.65% alcohol, which means uh, you can drink them all day long. Hence the name daytime. daytime. It's not because it's bright. Well, it is also a bright colored beer. Hmm. Uh, but yes, so tonight we're going to be talking about the uh, first couple episodes, or the second, the next couple episodes of Daredevil. Uh, Daredevil episodes three and four. Episode three was Rabbit in a Storm. Episode four, In the Blood. Um, we're watching the Netflix show Daredevil. It's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Spoilers, everybody, through episodes three and four. We have only watched that far. That's sort of our goal with uh, this watch of this show is that we're going to watch two episodes a week. Uh, we're not going to watch ahead. We're going to you know, leave ourselves open to predictions. We don't really know a whole lot about the comic book backstory of Daredevil. Uh, Dave has seen the other movie. I don't really think it has anything to do with... Uh, it doesn't relate at all to this uh, you know, TV show. Well, it does in effect because they both come from the comic book, I imagine, although I haven't watched or haven't uh, read the comic book. But uh, we have the the main enemy, you know, uh, the the particular uh, characters that accompany. Yeah. Um, but but the thing that I don't really um, know is is how these guys operate on a long term and. You're absolutely right in that this season and uh, in this TV series, they're definitely trying to, and they should, be taking a departure from the movie or any other series that's had Daredevil as its main character. Yeah, it's certainly a much, you know, it feels like a departure from a lot of the Marvel things. Although, uh, you still have to remind yourself when you're watching it that you're in a comic book universe, kind of. Well, you have to remind yourself you're watching a Marvel movie, too, because or a TV <clears throat> series, because... There's never been a Marvel TV series with this much blood and gore and violence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one of the things I do like about the show, um, one of the ways we describe uh, TV shows, you know, informally, is that they're either monster of the week or that they're serialized. Uh, and this really kind of combines them both. They're able to take uh, something and, you know, they're able to take an issue, introduce it, solve it th- within the context of just one episode while using that incident to further advance the storyline. They're doing a very good job of blending the two. Um, So it reminds me of shows like Fringe, uh, which we had both watched, which did it well. And it also sort of reminds me of Burn Notice, a show that I wish had done it better. Because Burn Notice was a show that I liked, but it was too uh, um, procedural for me. It was like, all right, we're going to do one story of somebody who we're never going to meet again. And then in the very last five minutes of the episode, we're going to advance the overall storyline again. Uh, So I like the way that uh, the pacing is going in Daredevil so far through the first four episodes. So the first uh, scene in episode three was very interesting because it was a guy that we've never met walking up to another guy we've never met and killing him with a bowling ball. Now, I gave my buddy Bill a tip uh, the other night. If he is bowling and they've closed, make sure if anybody asks if they can throw with you, to just say yes <laughs> and avoid any conflict. Don't allow you to be beaten in the head with a bowling ball. Right. It's just not really worth your time. You know, uh, it, It's not really worth any kind of conflict you may have with that person. You never know when someone might come up to you and just utterly destroy you in a physical sense. And like you said, there is lots of blood, like right away in this episode, just splattered with blood. Um, So, uh, well, the Daredevil opening credits are are blood, like blood over ruined buildings and shit. It's it's pretty amazing. (laughs) 
So you can see how Marvel really wants to uh, to continue on um, over their image that exists for a lot of like uh, you know kitty kind of things, right? Uh, because they, they even, want to attract. Uh... Yeah, I mean, even Avengers and their big real market items, they in Thor and whatever, they're still not like bloody, although they should be. They technically should be based on um, all the damage they inflict. Yeah, but but we're seeing uh, things that are are available and open and accessible to an audience that is young and that you want to bring your kids to because there isn't the blood and the violence and the sex. But Daredevil is a departure. This is an adult version of uh, you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I look forward to seeing Daredevil in other productions. But when we do, um, because I think that's kind of an eventuality now. When we do see Daredevil involved in some other stuff, I'm going to be assuming it's going to be pretty bloody and hardcore. So I'm going to be kind of upset if if it's not. If it's not. Well, there are plenty of fight scenes. Okay, so like uh, the fight scene at the end of episode two when he's uh, fighting all the guys in the hallway and he keeps getting knocked down and picked back up. There's not really any blood in that scene. Still, all all of the ways that but he it's like a very gruesome way breaks of people's bones in multiple positions. Uh, yeah. And the sound effects. And Stabs a guy like over the eye to get him to talk. Yeah, all of that stuff is not like... Claire know, hitting the... Oh, that's I, not that's kid-centric. That's the next episode. I'm jumping ahead too far. That's not kid-centric at all. And I I, uh, I hope that it continues. And I hope that we can carry over some of that into the regular uh, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know if so, it's going to happen, though. This might be like a sort of a outside thing a side story do you think that uh that definitely because of that we won't see any other marvel characters on this show no i i think we will see marvel characters on this show really that well they wouldn't brand marvel and have it be a big production if they weren't going to put it in the universe but i mean like they're not going to throw like tony stark on the show because then kids are going to want to watch it it's not a kid's show does it matter if the kids want to watch it i think that they would keep any sort of kid-friendly people off of it i mean who's kid-friendly every other marvel superhero i mean a lot of them i don't know they're not, they don't care they're not they're not going to separate adult and kid marvel things that's that's ridiculous well, that's i think fine with me really but well they, because they can't because uh because all of these superheroes are all involved together well that's great because i was uh, i was thinking that they wouldn't put anybody on but I, I like. Well, I don't know why they wouldn't because they could. it's 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 a huge Marvel brand in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I guarantee you that there is someone who uh, is a crossover. Now, whether or not that's someone that we actually know, because I am not that familiar with the comic book series and and who the crossover characters are. I meant like an existing movie character. Well, sure. I, I think we'll probably see one. Or TV one. show now. Whether it be this season or next season, because it's now renewed for season two, there will be someone who's on this show. But, I mean, whether or not Daredevil comes across uh, and, and makes his mark on, on all these other series, that's the real question. Because I think Daredevil is a little bit too... Um, in your face, intense, you know, uh, to to be on these kids. Shows. I think I think someone's going to need a lawyer at some point. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got that too. I mean, uh, Nelson and uh, uh, what was the name of the? You mean Foggy and Murdoch, or, or Murdoch and Nelson? Nelson and Murdoch. Nelson and Murdoch. Right. I knew we'd get to it eventually. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the Nelson and Murdoch uh, law firm that just started. Uh, was literally seven minutes old or something like that. Or we said six <laughs> hours. Six hours, yeah. Uh, and is now taking clients. No problem. Uh, we'll be happy to accept all of those clients, uh, which brings us to this episode. Yeah, so you know, Matt's got a little Catholic guilt, maybe, after uh, just going around beating the crap out of some guys. Um, he's certainly, he, you know, he's back at the church again, but he's just sitting there, and when the... Uh, priest comes out and talks to him. He doesn't want to talk to him. He just leaves. So I think Matt is still trying to wrestle with the fact that, you know, he's uh, beating the crap out of these guys. And, you know, I think that what he's thinking is, you know, it's, it's okay because he's doing it for the right reason. Right? 
Well, in the first episode, he asks for forgiveness not for what he has done, but what he's about to do. Yeah. Uh, he obviously has some kind of uh, affinity and relationship with the church, which a lot of people do. And even if they're not religious, they still want to uh, to be able to be accepted and forgiven by the majority of society, which is uh, what you know show for a different episode. But that's. That's why people go to church in the first place, is to be uh, accepted and forgiven by an audience of people. So uh, he wants that. He keeps going back. And and like you mentioned in this episode, he just leaves. And that's probably more of an indicator for me that he's uh, sort of beyond anything that people can help him with. He's beyond saving. He just has to deal with it on his own. He needs to deal with it himself. Yeah. Um, so we wind up seeing a couple new characters, right? Uh, we don't know at first that one of them is going to be kind of a regular. Uh, we meet Ben the reporter and a random, you know, sort of drug guy who is a snitch. Uh, I shouldn't say drug guy. Gangster, who's uh, also a snitch. Um, and in proper comic book fashion, you know, Ben is warned about it before he, uh, embarks on his, uh, you know, this case that he's going to start looking into. The guy's like, I don't know, man. I think that the weather is pretty nice in Florida right now. That's what I think. <laughs> so um not really sure what they're trying to do with Ben. You know, through two episodes of Ben, I'm still uh, not sure if he's actually going to be a character of substance or just someone who uh, is there to sort of guide Karen along because Karen can't tell Foggy and Matt about what she's doing. Um, but you know, that remains to be seen. Uh, so, uh, one of the actors who I like in this show a lot is, uh, the guy who plays James Wesley, the sort of, uh, Aaron boy for the employer, as we'll call him, uh, because his name is not to be said. That should be a drinking rule on the show. If you say his name, you have to drink. We haven't done drinking games. There you go. Drink. We do not say his name. He who shall not be named. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, clearly he's uh, at the head of this Shell Corporation of Confederated Global Investments, which is the only sort of uh, name that we can attach to them at this point. Um, they come to the law firm, and they're sort of the first big-paying customer, right? They want to put them on retainer. They're looking for young talent. Uh, and basically what they want is... Uh, a couple of young lawyers who are not connected to anything, who don't have any dirt, who are above reproach, as uh, he says later. Um, but do you think that, uh, you know, do you like James Wesley in the sort of role as a bad guy? Do you think he can pull it off, or is he a little too uh, clean cut for that? No, he's fine. He, he's been fine. I, I think he's uh, he's good. But he's not a guy that does a lot of work himself. Uh, he's a guy that has guys that do that for him. Um, and, and that applies for people under him as well as it applies for people over him. He's, he's just the, uh, business sales, uh, marketing liaison. He's the face of the organization for the organization. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, uh, I was suspicious of this, of course. Uh, of what they really wanted to do with them. You know, when you're watching this, you're always thinking about, like, uh, he's sort of fighting against these guys' interests, but they don't know that, and he knows that they don't know that. So he's not necessarily worried about that And when he comes to, comes to taking it. Uh, but it is funny how, you know, Foggy is, like, all for it, and Matt is the only one who's thinking about asking questions. And he gives the good line at the end. Uh, Foggy's like, you wouldn't say that if you could see all the zeros on this check. And Matt's like, you wouldn't say that if you couldn't see the zeros. Well, Foggy is obviously just the foil for Matt Murdock. And uh, and by that, I mean he is the guy that, that is, sort of, uh, is, is sort of funny and innocent and doesn't know what's going on. And, and Murdock is the dark and knows what's going on and has to deal with all the garbage. So if we didn't have a guy like Foggy, then the show would be super dark and wouldn't even be on TV because it would <laughs> it would be you know veering on like uh, in like uh, sociopathic like like terrible like why are you why are you putting this on? He has to have a non-threatening relatable friend. 
Yes, there has to always be that. And and I believe Foggy was in the comic books as well. Um, uh, it sounds like a comic book name. So, yeah. Foggy Nelson. He was, uh, he was a character that's been around forever uh, as a foil for Matt. And, and so shall be here. Because Matt is so dark and so terrible at points that we have to have some kind of comic relief or else we feel like... Um, you know what's going on here? Why am I reading this? What, what? Yeah, possible... it's just going to depress me the whole time. Yeah, what possible good could come out of it? So, um, to have a partner like him—that's that's what we're looking for here, to balance out the good with the bad. Yeah, I like Foggy. I wasn't totally sold on him first couple episodes, but uh, I think that he's going to be good. It's maybe the mullet that throws me off. I don't ever trust anybody with a mullet on TV. <laughs> uh, so. Um, we are sort of learning slowly about, I don't want to call it Matt's powers, right? But it's his senses that he relies on. Well, other he, than sight. If he's a superhero. Then we could call them powers. Anything that's more highly developed than a regular person. Okay. So he has the power to sense when James Wesley uh, is around by the specific tick of his watch. So I know can... this this is a comic book story and we talked about this before and I I still I don't think that he has superpowers from the toxic chemicals that were spilled upon him when he was younger. Right, I think it's just kind of developed as he's but fine-tuned himself from being blind. But still it's it's um you know things that are beyond the ordinary. So this is not regular like just because you're blind does not mean you can tell when a particular person is in like a right. 1 mile it's radius. It's like taking the enhancement that you do get when you're blind and turning it up to 100. Yeah, we assume that this is all possible in the realm of I'm just uh, I just want to like I'm fine with it. I just want to keep track of the things he can, so he can he can listen to people's heartbeats and tell if they're lying. Uh you know, he can sort of identify very specific uh uh sounds you know, from memory, mm-hmm. he can uh, isolate a conversation from across the street, and he knows where people are. Also, based on their their movements, like the air in in the room. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like we haven't really seen too much about how he actually learned to fight, because I don't think it was from his father. Like his father is never like you know when they're at the gym and stuff, they're never like boxing or hitting the bag or anything like that. No, and I'm sure we will. Uh... We will learn exactly who it is and, and how he was taught because that always happens in these in these kinds of, uh, of stories. Yeah. But for right now, you're right. We don't know anything other than the fact that he was uh, in a family with his father that, that took a beating, that was a great boxer, that was actually a great fighter that was able to beat almost anybody but didn't actually do it for, for the money. Yeah, um, that's true. And uh, and we know that his mother is involved somehow in this, uh, as we well as some other people. Yeah, well, in, what in, do we know about his mother? Well, in the in the second episode when his father passed away, uh, what he called uh, his mother. Oh, the lady who we I guess would presume would be his mother. Well, I don't I, think it's I, ever said. I don't have that information in front of me, but I I believe that that is uh, his mother, and the money was supposed to go like to her and to him. Uh, so the money that he bet on the fight, which let's say it's a thousand dollars, which you know could pay for rent or whatever, um, if he's betting uh, on himself, which would probably be a pretty high stakes bet considering the fact that he has lost more than he's won. Uh, let's say it's 10 to 1 that he loses. That's $10,000. So so that money then would go to uh, to Matt and to his mother, or, or to Matt through his mother, right. um, or whatever, through his caretaker, however that gets there. Assuming that the, the bookie that he talks to, who he obviously has a really good relationship with, because uh, he told him to get away, like out of like town. run away, yeah. Yeah. Uh, assuming that he would, the bookie would even do that. I mean, maybe he doesn't even do anything. We're not really sure what happens there. But I'm looking forward to that episode where we find out these answers, and uh, perhaps that'll shed more light on uh, Matt's situation. Uh, although, going back to our original statement, what we were talking about, I am looking forward to seeing exactly how he was trained, uh, and maybe how he is being trained. 
Um, yeah. You know, uh, as an ongoing thing. So there, there must be someone out there. What's uh, what, what? What did you call? Um, uh, like a sensei. Well, like like Batman's trainer. Oh, Ra's al Ghul. Yeah. So there must be, as you said, I his think Raza, previously, his Ra's al Ghul. Who is his Ra's al Ghul? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, um, before we get to learn that, I suppose. Uh, so they're interviewing uh, this guy Healy, who killed the guy in the bowling alley, um, because they've been hired. By Wesley in order to and you know confederated global whatever investments uh, to defend this guy to represent him and this guy knows way too much about what is going on he knows everything about like it's almost like he's a lawyer right because he's been through it so many times um, so Foggy uh, figures it out finally finally his bullshit detector goes off and he calls the guy a shark in a skin suit which is a great uh, you know that's that's why you got foggy around right like you were saying earlier um so really this whole situation is a chance for matt to sort of try and learn more about the employer um he's trying to just kind of figure out what's going on he's i, I don't know if something has happened at the beginning of daredevil that uh drives him to um want to do all this stuff like we we didn't really see uh, like a certain event that spawned him into uh, that sparked him to start putting a mask on and running around at night. We just saw him doing that, right? You mean his dad getting murdered wasn't the event you were looking for? Was there some other kind of event that was uh, more? Yeah, I was looking for something like because his dad got murdered when he was a little kid, and he didn't start running around with a mask on probably until. I don't know, after the whole Avengers events? Batman didn't start running around when he was 13. You know, like most superheroes have these events that occur and then they spend their entire lives trying to get to a place where they can avenge their parents. That That's the way that I see okay. it. Okay, I guess what I was thinking is that maybe there was a, a specific event that happened a little more recently that made him decide to just go ahead and do it. I would think your father being murdered would carry throughout your entire life as like a defining event. I would think so. I would hope so as well. I suppose you're right. I mean, it's not to say there could be couldn't be more things that became a catalyst for something bigger. Uh, and I, I I don't mean to you know belittle what you're saying either because I I don't know. Yeah. Um, but but obviously you have to keep in mind that it was still his dad getting murdered as like probably the biggest turning point in his entire life that or being blinded i mean those are both pretty intense well if he's blinded when he's like five it's not a turning point it's just a thing he was probably 10 well look he his dad was probably murdered shortly like he, he had just started like learning to read braille when his dad was murdered i don't know what the time discrepancy is but but by the time that his dad was murdered, he was able to uh, stitch his dad's cuts closed on his face. So that makes me I think... I think he did that without before he was blind, too. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I don't know the answers to those questions. Yeah. So... Um, those are good questions. Yeah, I think we're going to learn a lot about you know what's happened. We're not done like learning about his past, I think. Matt's past, that is. Um... So Karen is offered this buyout to keep her mouth shut from her former employee, Union Allied Construction. They, they come up with all these uh, big, uh, ominous-sounding, generic company names, right? Union Allied Construction and Global Investment Corporation or Confederated Global Investments. Um, so, you know, they're, they're good at coming up with the generic names for the show, I suppose. Uh, anyways, um, uh, Karen, you know is suspicious of this agreement and she actually goes and talks to the wife of uh, the guy who she had supposedly killed and finds out that she signed an agreement too, uh, not to, but she signed an agreement. So Karen's on her own. She's trying to find out uh, what goes on. So I want to know, what do you think of Ben, this character, this journalist uh, who's trying to do good? Uh, this guy who, you know, is trying to convince her not to pursue the case because it's too dangerous. Um, is he actually a good character or is he like a prop that they're using to sort of advance the storyline? I think, uh, based on what we already know about Ben, which is that he exposed many things in the past, 
uh, he is a good journalist that wants to do it again, but doesn't want all these people to get involved like they did in the past, just like Ben said in his exposition. So I think he is exactly what he says he is. Okay. Yeah, I you know I, I just kind of feel like they're building him up and that he'll end up being a sacrifice towards the end and like this will be his last big story kind of thing. Well, that's fine, but he's not lying then in what he's saying he is. Yeah, he'll that's just will get killed because he's trying to break too far into it, and that just makes uh, Matt and uh, I guess Karen uh, more involved. Yeah. So towards the end of the episode, we get a pretty sweet fight. Um, this episode had been kind of uh, more courtroom oriented, and uh, it was a lot more dialogue. And there is, you know, some action in every episode. Um, so Matt and Healy are fighting after they got Matt off. Well, not got him off, but the it was a hung jury, which is so anticlimactic after all of that stuff in the courtroom. It turns out that none of it actually mattered. Um, so anyways, they're, they're fighting and they're both like awesome fighters. And this is probably the first real even fight that we've seen him in. Uh, and he still comes out on top and he finds a way to get Healy to give him the name. And he finds out that the name of the employer is Wilson Fisk. And Healy is so scared when he gives up the name that he impales himself on a spike. Which is a pretty badass way to go. Although I would probably prefer like Space Shuttle Disintegration still. <laughs> um, so anyways, we finally meet Wilson Fisk. Uh, who I think we can all safely assume is like the bad guy of the series, right? Kingpin. The Kingpin, very well put. Uh, so he looks eerily like uh, Gomer Pyle from Full Metal Jacket, which of course he played. Um, but with the shaved head, it's just that's exactly what I thought of when I first saw it. Um, but I, I think that this guy is possibly more crazy. So he buys this painting that's just white. It's called Rabbit in a Snowstorm, um, which is uh, essentially just a joke of something that's not actually there. And, um, you know, that's where they kind of, you know, obviously that's where the episode title comes from. Um, I'm not really sure if there was more allusions to that uh, throughout the episode. But then again, I don't think that, you know, like we just did Better Call Saul and we could analyze like a million different things that they did in the creation of it, uh, not even worrying about the, like the content of the episode. I don't know that Daredevil is quite as deep as Better Call Saul. So, anyways, you like the third episode? I think I think first of all that that all these shows have the same level of uh, rhetoric of cinema that the other ones do. <laughs> that you know they they know the basics. They they are working at the highest level here. Okay. So uh, there there's going to be a lot of uh, you know the colors that people are wearing, the placement, the shadows. Um, you know, the dialogue, the illusions, the metaphors they make, the things that they talk about. Um, I mean, you could spend a long time doing just that, right? Yeah. The, the guys have a good pedigree, you know, that, that make this show, just as they do on uh, Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul or, or, or whatever else. And it doesn't mean that this will go down in history as uh, as good of a show as, as uh, Breaking Bad, for example, which... Will probably be up there for quite a while, being that it. I would think so. You know, kind of led. Uh, it's got a very large. Uh, there aren't many haters of Breaking Bad out there. It has a big audience, but right. it, it led a charge of like big good drama um, with like sort of film backgrounds um, that never used to be the case in TV series. Yeah, it was like a flagship of that. But this is new generation stuff. I mean, this is. This is a original series from Netflix um, that that's doesn't have any real uh, um, precedent. There's, I mean, there's House of Cards, which coincidentally I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet. But apparently, there's an interview out there of Charlie Cox, who is Matt Murdock, uh, and um, Kevin Spacey, who is Frank Underwood from House of Cards, interviewing each other. Well, I haven't I haven't seen House of Cards, but I know a lot of people like it. Um, I think Netflix series are going to be on the up and up for quite a while. But I think, regardless of any of that, the reason this is a good series is because it's more like a a, a film, and it doesn't mind 
doing things that are out of the ordinary. Yeah. So like you said, uh, it's not necessarily Monster of the Week. Sometimes they'll take an entire episode just to develop a subplot. And, and that's how Netflix series are. Right. Because they don't care because they exist in, in totality. Uh, and you're either going to watch it or you're not. Now this, you know, I, I think so far all of the Daredevil episodes have had a little bit of that Monster of the Week, ep, you know, aspect to it. Well, you, you're, you're saying Monster of the Week being that there's, <clears throat> there, there's some kind of big plot device in each episode, which is true of every single series ever. Not every series. I mean, there are some that are just a continuation of another thing. Uh, the Wire still, is a very good example of that. But there's still going to be something going on in that episode. Yeah, but it may be something that they resolve from two episodes prior. Well, having only watched four episodes, I suppose we can't pass judgment. From what I've seen, I see like a story being introduced and completed in each episode. In the first one, it was Karen and her murder thing. And the second episode... I guess. I mean, the second episode is there, there was a boy and he, he was saved. Yeah, like, it's finding the boy. Yeah, but finding the boy is not like an entire subplot. Like, we don't we don't hear about him in any of the other episodes. Like, you know... They, they reference him in the third episode. The point is, the entire episode, besides the very end, which was just based around one fight scene where he gets the, hat, the shit kicked out of him, Yeah, uh, was plot development. Right. And, you know... Th- all right. I guess what I'm saying is I can see where they're they're both they're doing both, right? They're doing a lot of overall plot development in addition to having these other secondary stories going on. Well, if if I can say anything, I, I would say that that if we have a scale of monster of the week versus you know uh, overarching story, uh, this is going to be far on the on the edge of the overarching story. I would say it's about sixty forty to overarching story. Okay, well, I'll go with your 60%. Okay, uh, yeah, that works for me. Um, I need my glasses. Of course, they're... Uh, uh, so, in episode four, and we, we can probably skip over this, go through it a little bit quicker than the last one. Um, the main, you know, the main thing that happens is that the Russians are getting screwed by Matt because he keeps disrupting... Uh, their supply, and they need, uh, they're sort of given orders to, uh, you know, fix the problem or we're going to fix it for you. Um, so what they do is they kidnap Claire and Matt has to go after her. Uh, Matt's finally, you know, she, at the end of that, she tells him, look, what you're doing, yes, you're putting people at risk, but it's worth it. So I think that they're kind of setting up sort of a relationship with those two. I don't know if it's a romantic relationship. I don't know if he's still going to try and avoid her in order to uh, protect her. Uh, but they're definitely setting something up between them. Right? Do you see that? Or is it is it too TV, like, uh, generic for me? For you? In every episode so far, uh, Kevin and Matt uh, have had some kind of a confrontation, which is generally something that is uh, that is uh, emotional. Um, I think the first time that they met, uh, she lied to him, um, and in subsequent times that they've met, there has been some kind of uh, transfer of emotions between the two of them. Or, or some kind of issue. Um, not the second episode, though, because she wasn't really involved at all. Um, but that's because... You're talking about Claire? Karen. Karen, okay. Well, that's what you were mentioning, right? No? I was talking about Claire. Oh, I see. Well, I, I apologize. Yeah, some kind of, uh, of connection between Claire and Matt. Uh, obviously, she is sort of the nurse, the cut man, if you will, that, like, just like that second episode title uh, is mentioning that Claire is kind of the cut man of um, Daredevil, of Matt Murdock, just like he was of his father. And there is also going to be some kind of a love relationship, uh, I think, just because they're close. They're often um, uh, sharing emotional scenes together, and they're often in close quarters where one or both does not have all their clothes on. Oh, that's a good way of looking at it. And in life, as I know, 
um, if if you're sharing space with people and and those people um, you know are sharing space with you emotionally and physically, then generally you you build some kind of bond with them. Um, if they happen to be of the opposite sex, then uh, odds are that turns into a relationship of the sexual nature. That's just how it works in life. That's the way it works. So I don't see any reason why they wouldn't get involved. The birds and the bees via Daredevil. Especially now that he has gotten her into a situation where she can't even live her normal life or go about her normal life you know, uh, as she knew it. Yeah, not for now, because the Russians are still around. It's not like they got rid of them. Well, she he told her she had to move. They already know who she is, I presume, yeah. which means that she can't go to work, although we haven't seen really any of that. Uh, she can't live in her normal places that she lives. So now her only contact is Matt. You know, Matt, who happens to be the ruggedly handsome, blind vigilante. <laughs> vigilante. So... Don't the cards say that they have some kind of a relationship together? Is isn't that what? Uh... That's certainly what they're pushing towards. I'm just wondering if Matt is gonna uh, keep resisting it because you know I would think maybe he wouldn't because he's not the kind of guy who really cares if he's hurting uh, the people that he's going after. Well, I don't know what Matt's relationship is with women. I don't know if he's ever had relationships with women. I don't know any of that. That the only insight we get from Foggy is that whenever Matt gets involved with a pretty woman, it ends badly, badly for Foggy. That's, that's the extent of the knowledge of what we know about his, uh, past. (laughs) Yeah. I remember that bit of dialogue. Yeah. So I will see. Um, I guess, They'll probably give us insight into his past relationships as well as uh, his current relationship. Yeah. But we can suffice to say, I think, that if, if there's anything close to a, a girlfriend or love interest it's right now, it's going to be Claire and probably in, into the future. Yeah, that's how I see it. So one thing that I noticed throughout this episode is that everyone was being very sloppy. Um, you know... All the moves that people made were really sloppy, or what was going on was really sloppy. So whether it be at the beginning when they're pulling bones out of that, out of the corpse. What do you mean by sloppy? Um, Could you perhaps pick a different word? Well, I, I I only use sloppy because it's there's several physical scenes at the beginning and the end uh, that are sloppy. Like like I was saying, when they're sticking his, sticking a hand into the guy's rib, guy's chest, and pulling out a piece of rib to use as a weapon. Was that sloppy though? Well, it's physically sloppy. You mean bloody? Yeah, and at the end when uh, Fisk is smashing the guy's head in with the car. So you mean violent and gorish. Sure, but then people's actions are sort of uh, lazy and sloppy. Like uh, Karen just going straight to um, to the auction and not paying much attention to what she's doing. Yeah, but she, she doesn't know anything about like trying to be... Uh, someone who's researching right. somebody. She needs to know, she needs to learn how to do it first. She can't just dive into it. It could be dangerous. She should know that because a bunch of people around her have been killed. Not a bunch, but, you know, the at least one person. She's definitely, um, yeah, she definitely doesn't really understand <laughs> all the things that are going on around her. Yeah. Even though she's in the middle of it. You know, and, um, Maybe uh, Matt and Claire could have been a little more careful and gone somewhere that uh, that nobody would have known because obviously still somebody knew like, more than just Matt knew where she was because um, she told uh, the sixteen year old at right. the apartment complex right right um, and then the Russians are sloppy you know when Matt which was an awesome scene when he gets to the taxi depot to rescue Claire and he kills all the lights. That was like I think I said it before we started the episode. You know, I what I want him to do is turn the lights off before a fight, so that he can just kick the shit out of everybody, and they don't know what's going on. And when I was watching it for a second time, you know, the the rational part of me says, well, they should have done a, like something way different. They should have uh, tried to turn on lights, or sh- they should have gotten all together. They shouldn't just be shooting wildly. But obviously, it's a comic book movie or TV show. I need to suspend well, one, some disbelief. They don't know that he's blind. Oh, that's a good point. And two, uh, there's a lot of situations in which Matt might not be able to find the place where the power is coming from, or know how to turn it off. True. He uh, was probably able to 
find that before engaging. But if there is the ability for uh, Matt Murdock to turn off the power before going into combat, then I agree with you. He needs to absolutely do that every time because that accentuates his uh, it's a huge advantage. His the benefits he already has as you know being someone who doesn't use sight to his advantage. Yeah. So so yeah, but but keep in mind what I mentioned. You know that. Um, that he may not be able to turn it off or not know how to turn it off or not have time to turn it off. And then, of course, the fact that just because he's wearing a mask does not mean that he can't see or that they know he can't see. Because these people don't They have, just know that he's wearing a mask. They don't think that he's covering his eyes. They don't. I, the last thing that someone would think, uh, even if they had heard about some vigilante that that like killed a bunch of their uh, you know cohorts, <laughs> is that he is blind. That's very true. They, I, I never even thought about it that way. So they wouldn't be turning back on the lights. Because, you know, like, he... Do you think that his walking stick is for show? Oh, of course. Because okay. the, the in the previous episode, I think episode three, uh, he's talking to Foggy. Uh, Foggy goes in a cab, and he realizes he has to go it was somewhere. Four, yeah. So he just uh, ditches it and runs. Yeah, that was when uh, Claire was getting kidnapped. Yeah, the walking stick and, and having people hold his arm, that's only just... To keep for, up appearances. Absolutely. Uh, and its its I guess it's good that he does that, but it is something that's a little hard to believe, especially that you know if we continue to see him coming back to the law office and hanging out with Karen and Foggy and having like cut up faces and scars, uh, you know, like you can't just keep hiding that forever. What are you getting in bar fights? Like, right. what is it like a blind well, bar? The first time he blind blamed fight it on, club, you know, he blamed it on not being able to see and like walking into something. Yeah. You can't keep doing that. Right. Because eventually someone's going to be like, Oh, well you need a dog or we're going to like stay there with you. Cause obviously you can't, Help yourself. And I guess what you'll see is either Foggy or Karen or both of them will eventually know what his real identity is. I think Karen will learn first. You seem to have this, like, uh, you just want Karen to know who Matt is. I thought she really did, and then it's clear that she doesn't. Um, but I, I, I just see it as something where Foggy's going to be the last person to learn it, and he's going to be mad about that. And it's going to create a rift between the two. That's my guess. Well, that's uh... specific, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is the kind of show that we get to prognosticate on. I don't always get to do that. So I get to come up with wild, crazy theories. Um, so um, one of the things, going back to the taxi fight, at the very end of it, uh, Claire, you know, Matt's got the guy and he's holding him. And just out of nowhere, Claire hits the guy in the head with a baseball bat. And, like, that is just, uh, as if it didn't get to you by now that this is a very dark, uncharacteristic Marvel thing. Like, that, just that split second, that little moment, uh, you know, was awesome. Because, you know what, I cheered for it, too. That's easy for me, and I I think that's awesome, uh, just as you do. Yeah. But but because uh, Claire identifies with him uh, immediately knew who he was that's the reason why she took him into his to her apartment yeah um and and the and the reason why she's sort of fostering this relationship and going along with him is because she wants to do that too there's something bad in her past something dark there's some violence there that she you know uh needs to uh to do something about and uh claire definitely has something in her that is similar if you know, less than uh, than Matt. Um, yes. So from the beginning, uh, because you know if you identify with a guy like this, who's a vigilante, who's getting the shit beat out of him, but is is killing or, or well, right now... Debilitating. I don't, I don't know of anybody who's actually been killed. Just grievously... He threw a guy off a roof and he's only in a coma. Grievously injured people. Yeah. Uh, so if you're identifying with him, then obviously you don't really care if the bad guys get hurt. Right, and I think like at the beginning of uh, episode three, we talked about at the beginning of the show. You know, that's sort of what he was uh, tossing over in his mind. Should he really care if the bad guys are getting hurt? And I don't think he does. Well, I think any of the people that end up being on his side and hanging out with him or helping him uh, have the same kind of uh, the same kind of moral compass. Where it's like it bends a little when you have. Uh, you know, people that have been doing bad things. It's 
It's yeah. okay. It's okay to uh, to mess with them as long as you're keeping yourself on the, you know, you're doing good things on the up and up as far as you're concerned. And sure. and I think that's what both of them think. Uh, though it must be hard for her now. Uh, certainly, if she had uh, if she had children, if she had a family, it might be different. But it doesn't seem like that's the case. She's living alone by herself. Yeah, has her own sort of uh, ethical can, and moral yeah. compass that aligns with Matt's. So it seems like she's going to be here for a while. She can just get up and leave. Yeah. With, like no notice. Well, I, I would hope that Matt wouldn't pursue a relationship, uh, even if it was just to be, you know, a nurse to him, uh, with someone that their whole life would be ruined. That's true. That's very true. Uh, so let's. Although he, he tried to say no, like get out of here. Yeah. And she was like, look, I know what I'm doing. I know I'm helping you. I know that this can be dangerous. You no, know, yeah, you're right. It was one of those weak TV things. It was like, no, stop. And she's like, yeah, but I like it. Right. It was like, <laughs> no, you're doing the right thing. I'm going to keep helping you. Yeah. So, you know, this was after he patched her up. Obviously, there's something going on there. Um, but let's turn to the other ladies' man, Wilson Fisk, going on a date with a foxy art curator. Well, she's. I think the only reason for her really is uh, is just to show that this guy um, maybe at one time was normal or wants to be normal, but he's just insane, psycho, crazy man. Oh, totally. It is just like one creepy step after another for this guy. And then when Anatoly runs into the restaurant uh, and all of the guys stand up like they're bodyguards, I, I was totally not expecting that. In hindsight, it makes perfect sense. But that was like one of the moments of the episode where it just totally took me by surprise. So, uh, so Fisk basically does what uh, what he has to do, and then uh, and gets rid of him. Takes yeah, takes some aggression out on Anatoly, uh, and that is the sloppy ending to the episode. And you know that's a sloppy move by Anatoly, who is supposed to be the level-headed brother. You know he's the one who's like, look. Uh, you don't have to bow down to him. I'll do it for both of us. I'll eat, swallow my pride and take care of this. Yeah, I disagree with your term, but I agree with your purpose and intent behind the term. Okay. So I think it's more of uh, of being like uh, like guttural, quick to act, instinctful, violent kind of uh, episode than it is short sighted. Yeah, it's just a like your immediate. Reaction, like you know, knee-jerk reaction kind of thing, was was the whole episode. But but you're right, um, because a lot of it was just um, all of these people's instinctual reactions to what they should do, and they most of them were wrong. But then you have a lot of it rooted in violence, like Fisk, you know, corridor, 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 corridor. After like six times, it's probably enough. But they. Showed us uh, probably 10, 11 times. Yeah, it got excessive, and uh, he was covered in blood. And he was wearing what looked like chain mail, because the guy like slashed him with a knife, and it just cut his suit, and there was some sort of, it looked like ring mail or something down there, right? Yeah, I know. I thought that it it looks like some kind of uh, of body armor or reinforced, or I guess it could be just, you know, a really nice, suit but uh <laughs> but i would think that this guy probably has some kind of protection other than just the fact that he's a big guy who can do those kind of things to people so i would not be surprised if there was some kind of reinforced armor underneath his suit and that's why he immediately said need a new one let's get a new one yeah um so yeah i mean i think there's probably greater than 50 percent chance the guy has like chain mail or something on interesting yeah i I was surprised to see that, but uh, that's kind of a cool mix. Uh, it'll certainly be a surprise to Matt if he ever ends up fighting him, because that's not going to be fun. Get his ass kicked with a guy who's wearing armor. Well, that's his, something that Claire said that he should be doing, is that he should be wearing armor. His head has no armor on it. Yeah, but it's way up there. He's <laughs> a big guy, Fisk is. Uh, so one of the other things I noticed about this episode... It, Totally opposed to the last episode. Last episode was all uh, like a big, even fight. This episode was all one-sided fights. So Matt 
turns the lights off on the guys in the ca- in the taxi garage and kicks the crap out of like I don't know a dozen guys. Uh, and then Fisk grabs Anatoly and just smashes his head with the car door. Uh, so everything was very one sided in this episode. The previous episode it was very even. Uh, so I wonder if we're gonna get a like a back and forth there. Um, but uh, I don't know. It, it is interesting watching Matt really be successful. You know, it was getting a little uh, painful watching him get the crap kicked out of him every single time. That's a good point. I would surmise that things level off. Uh, I think that if you're seeing like a like a really bad episode, he got his ass beat, and then a really good episode, he did well and and accomplished a lot. Uh, we can't we can't see uh, you know every single episode having Matt walk into the office and being all cut up and bruised. It's not going to work. Right. So I don't think also that it's going to end up being Batman where he is able to go into any situation, beat everyone up, and then go to work without a scratch on his face. So I think it will definitely be in the middle and even off. But you're absolutely right in in saying and pointing out how, especially after introducing his father and how he got into it, and then, of course, he takes a beating just like his dad always did, there's always the possibility that he's going to come out barely living. Uh, And (laughs) we've been introduced to that possibility by that episode, by the second episode. Yeah. And I think we're going to see more of that, too. And the third episode got beat the shit as well you know and and it's going to happen but i think for the most part um whatever we see is going to be kind of uh, even-handed uh because otherwise i mean if you were foggy or or heck anyone he went to court with or right like he shows up in court and he's all beat up you can't just constantly be be beat up like that people are going to take notice so they're going to ask if you're in fight club yeah i'm telling you blind fight club man Blind Fight Club, nice. There's an app for that. <laughs> All right, well, uh, next week we'll cover episodes five and six of Daredevil. Uh, make sure that you check us out on Twitter. You can subscribe to our podcast there on uh, our website, we're drink5.com. Go to Twitter, follow us at Drink5. Facebook, facebook.com slash drink5network. Thing at that one. I think I'm getting these uh, all these plug things right. All right, plug it up. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Cheers. Yeah.